Well, it's time for your favorite podcast. Once again, your favorite sporting podcast, your favorite hockey podcast, your favorite all-in-one podcast. And it's amazing whenever I hear that song. And I'm sure you are the same. You end up bopping along as I do, as our guest does. I was just watching him on camera now, and uh, you could see him thoroughly enjoying the song, as uh, we always do. It is the intro to Hockey the Podcast. And 100 episodes down. Thank you very much, everyone, for for getting us to that milestone and some very kind words following the release of that century last week. And uh, yeah, we really, really do appreciate it. But of course, now we move on to the next 100. It's amazing because people say, oh, imagine featuring in the, in the 100th episode. But you could probably look at it, imagine featuring in 101. And that's exactly what's going to happen this time around for our guest but uh, i'm not going to tell you about him or her who knows of course that uh, honor belongs to my illustrious colleague my superb co-host my partner in crime tyron jobby barnard how are you ty geez derek that is the best introduction you've ever given me and uh i feel like i'm gonna put that on my cv right there, right there. That's, that's it keeping it um uh, do it do it, do it. Yeah. They, 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 they don't come often yeah the praise the praise my, i have my own hired praise singer uh, derek albert you may know him from places like super sports or radio but here he is tyron barnard's pride praise singer derek you can put that on your CD, praise singer. Yeah, it's already on. <laughs> Why do you think I'm recording this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, it's been a, a, yeah, a wonderful week. Uh, obviously, thanks very much to Supersport for, for covering the 100th episode, to everybody for jumping on board. But, you know, as we said in the 100th episode, there's so many stories. We've only touched the tip of the iceberg. And, uh, yeah, we're excited to kickstart 101 today. And uh, with us is a double south african in both indoor and outdoor and one of only two men in south african hockey history i don't know if he even knows this to have scored a goal at the olympics and at the indoor hockey world cup it is none other than wade payton wade welcome time Derek. thank you much thanks so much for intro i I won't lie i don't know after hearing that intro i don't know if i was more nervous for the rest of this podcast or my trick dance <laughs> uh listen the trip dance not that long ago for you derek do you remember yours and it's uh, a bit I, further back I, I do remember it uh it didn't end well because i had high hopes for my date and uh, she ended up uh leaving the, the the event with another guy so uh, i do remember it unfortunately but uh the older I get, hopefully the less I remember. So probably on my deathbed, I'll, I'll forget that uh, I got <laughs> dropped at my matric dance. Derek, I, 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 my, my, my story is not that much dissimilar to yours. Uh, my, my date was quite bleak because I didn't want to go to the official after party. I wanted to go to one of those, you know, less uh, peer pressure after parties at one of the Oaks houses. And she was so bleak because she was a year younger and she wanted to go to the real after party. And I was like, nah. And so the whole after party, she didn't really talk to me. So um, did you did you end up going to your one? And yeah, I went to my one, and she mm. she wasn't pleased. So she drank with somebody else, and oh. <laughs> so no wonder we, we co-host the show together. We've <laughs> matric dance stories. I, I I can imagine that uh, Wade had them banging down the door uh, to ask him for 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 their for his hand in in being a, a suitor. 
for the matric dance. My, um, especially my, with my, my, yeah, let's hear. Sorry, my, my matric dance story is um, quite bland. Derek and Jobs. <laughs> I was in a, I, I was in a five five year relationship. I think through school, if I can remember. Um, so yeah, it was a high school sweetheart, and everything went smoothly and wonderful. <laughs> Nobody left me at the end of the night, and yeah. <laughs> Ended up very well. A, 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 paint, uh, a paint by numbers matric dance story. One hundred percent. That's cool. Well, we all, we all need a, a little bit of vanilla in the show. Thank you very much for providing it. Uh, uh, beautiful. I, I mean, Pates, did you, did you? I mean, did you know that uh, stack bomb that I dropped on you there at the start? Did you one of only two players to have scored at the Olympics and the Indoor World Cup? Jumps. I I didn't know. Well. I knew that I'd scored in both. I, I never, um, I never saw it as a, as like someone actually kept that stat. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty proud. I won't lie. That's flipping epic. Who's the other person? Uh, have a have a guess. You have to go a bit further back in time. Um, an indoor World Cup. I'm, I'm probably gonna go with one of the Evans brothers. You would be right with one of the Evans brothers. Wow. And. Um, Going to go with Steve because I think Ian would have been too far back as a defender in the outfield to have scored. You are correct. Steve, Steve Evans. Is the other one. Yeah, there we go. Wow. So it's just Steve Evans and Wade Payton. And, and remarkably, both of you played alongside your brothers for the national team. No ways. <laughs> so, so Mustafa or Diane will definitely join. We don't know, oh, yes. probably, probably both, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the next test match. Yeah, listen, we, we've brought it up, so it's not a bad place to start, which is the end of your career was the indoor side. I mean, obviously you'd had a, a glittering outdoor career, uh, an incredible outdoor career. You had been to the World Cups, been to the London Olympics, had the heartbreak of uh, the Brazil um although I know you were in that kind of phase where you were deciding there, and then you switched over to the indoor and in a very fiercely competitive time and probably the most rock star time ever to be a national player, uh, you were part of that generation because PSI over those three years building up to 2018 really put indoor hockey on the map. And, I mean, there are some great photos of all of you getting mobbed by the crowds as you're being announced. Um, it must have been so different from your outdoor, but such a, a special part of your career. Yeah, I mean, I, I always, um, I've always fancied indoor. I think um, being born and bred this side of the of the map uh, in Durban and Maritzburg, we we enjoy our hockey down this side and our indoor hockey in particular. And it just as soon as the outdoor program got um, quite intense throughout my career. There wasn't really time for indoor, um, yeah, with utmost respect to indoor, because I honestly think it's the one of the greatest sports around. Um, it just wasn't enough time um, to to play both. And I say that hitting my head against the computer because I know that Jethro Eustace does it quite well, but that's a topic for another time. Um, but the programs were, were quite hectic back then um, with the outdoor side. There, there was quite a bit of... I want to say a lot of money, but there was some money around, so the, the touring was a lot more regular, and there was just obviously no time for the indoor. Um, and then, like you mentioned, Jobs with the um, with Rio not going ahead, I think that was kind of I was on the cusp. Um, 
had an yeah had a wonderful uh, girlfriend um yeah was quite soon to propose after that um kind of saw myself settling down and then obviously with the rio not going down i just saw such a great opportunity um to get stuck in with the indoor for a while because it was it was just more manageable um with camps on the weekend and kind of not taking up any of our week time uh, from a work perspective and i mean like you said it it is it was literally I, I honestly felt like a rock star for three years or, or two and a bit years that I was involved. Um, the indoor setup and in particular PSI is just, it's indescribable. Hey? And it was such a great way to end kind of in my career. I actually haven't retired yet, but um, it was a, it, it was just a, a fun way to kind of go out because of the the doom and gloom from not being um sent to rio which obviously any athlete kind of builds yourself up to an olympics and and not going um and then i thought hockey was over and then i walked into the uct indoor center and it felt like hockey was reborn again and it was just a, a magical time with the indoor with the indoor boys and of course uh, during this time uh, you played against the international all-stars. Uh, talking about 3,000 fans, roundabout, if not more, packed halls, the works. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I hadn't, obviously hadn't played much international indoor. I think I think I only got my first debut, my first cap in um, at Africa Cup, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was yeah, actually my Yeah, it's soccer bunch, yeah. Yeah, so that was my first um, good taste of international indoor. Um, but uh, playing, like you said, Derek, playing against those all-stars in Cape Town was was unreal. I mean, the, the quality that um, Simon and his team had brought out. I mean, Robert Tiggers, uh, Mo Fuster, uh, just to name a few, were they are the best indoor players in the world. Um, and to have them teamed up and then as a as a a relatively inexperienced national indoor team to be able to use that as your um, any kind of preparation. I mean, it, it just serves you wonders, eh? And yeah, just just wonderful to be involved. Yeah, Robert was actually a guest on our show not too not too long ago, and yeah, as you mentioned, a, a veritable who's who of sporting superstars when it comes to to hockey. Uh, the Dutch, the Germans, the Spanish, the list just goes on and on. And, and you said you're relatively new to the indoor arena and, and it must have been must have been mind-blowing for, for you to go to go up against those type of people yeah it was i mean i'd only really measured my indoor skill um at ipt over the years because uh, you could kind of always go to ipt but never really be available for the national indoor team if you were involved with the national outdoor team it was just the schedules just didn't work and um i don't think the programs really saw eye to eye so it's just, just one of those things. So, I mean, to come down and then play against, all of a sudden get thrown into um, the deep end with the quality of that international team was was mind-blowing. Yeah, honestly, I, I thought I, I must have looked like a headless chicken on the video. Actually, I did look like a headless <laughs> chicken. I can remember watching that first video and going, oh my gosh, I look like an absolute amateur. Um, and yeah, within a matter of games, you kind of pick up pick up the speed and yeah, you, you just... Yeah, I think just a little bit of experience um, helps with the adapting at, at that environment and at that level and at that speed. So, yeah, it's just it's just a world class game, eh? So, I mean, you obviously uh, then went to the World Cup. So, you've been to the World Cup in Berlin, the Indoor Hockey World Cup. 
It was a, a tough tournament. We don't have to talk about that. But you've also experienced outdoor World Cups, both in India and, if I'm not incorrect, you also did, yeah, at The Hague in Netherlands. I mean, looking at those World Cup experiences, how, how does the indoor stack up against the outdoor? That's a good question. Um, I, I'm not the biggest fan of, um, of traveling to India. I've never have been. <laughs> India and I did not meet eye to eye at all. It, yeah, it, it just got me. Eh? Daily belly got me every time. It didn't, <laughs> didn't matter how prepared I was. I always got smacked. Um, but, but then to go to the, indoor, the, the outdoor World Cup in India was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I, it is one of the highlights of my career, I think, playing against India at the, India, at the World Cup in India. Um, it was absolutely deafening. Um, we couldn't even hear each other talk. I can remember Clarkie screaming at us and we were all trying to scream at each other. Uh, it was like a 20,000-seater stadium full to capacity. Uh, your hands were shaking. You couldn't even stop the ball. It was, it was an absolutely immense. Um, but, but very different kind of um, environment to the 2014 World Cup at Den Haag, which I think was the first combined um, men's and women's World Cup. Yeah if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and obviously being in Holland, uh, I don't know, some call it the home of hockey, I call it the home of hockey. It, it was an incredible environment. I mean, it was very party kind of atmosphere. Um, like, I mean, the setup, the, the, the stores, the common areas, the eating uh, kind of zones at the ground were, it was like being at a, like rocking the daisies, except with a massive hockey stadium in the middle of it. Um, that that was phenomenal, and then you arrive in an indoor World Cup, and whatever you thought was cool or crazy, just gets blown completely out of the window. It was like it was like playing hockey. I didn't get that. Could you try again? That's Siri talking to me. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> it's like it is like playing hockey. Inside Tiger Tiger. It, it is honestly, I was, was going to ask Derek about his experiences at Tiger Tiger, but um, he, can't, <laughs> he can't remember them that well. It's, it's, yeah. I think you and I had very different experiences at Tiger Tiger. If, if you wrote the same thing to <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Wait, for the, for the South African locals who haven't been... I mean, how close did PSR in one of those pack nights? Uh, I think of the the Mo Fester series when he was here. Um, you know, how close does that get to the World Cup? Is it is it just a scale difference? Are they on the way or? Um, I, I, honestly, it's just a scale difference. I mean, if if you could make the indoor venues bigger in South Africa. I really think you could get close to achieving that same uh, look and feel as as what what they did in Berlin. Um, it, it is just no, it's noise. It's just noise the whole time, and, and even in the game, and they're not playing pumping music while you're playing, obviously because guys are, are trying to focus. Um, but it, it just the people talking to each other in a closed uh, hall environment is loud. And the ball hitting sticks is loud, and the ball hitting the boards is loud, and it, it, 
PSI, it, it, it is, it's a replica, it, obviously just on a smaller scale. I mean, running out of a tunnel with flames shooting out on either side of you, um, then the lights going off and announcers announcing your names. And it, it, it is, it's the closest, uh, it's the closest a hockey player will feel, feel to a rock star, honestly, at, at an Indoor World Cup and PSI. And best venue in South Africa for indoor? Are you asking from a surface perspective? No, from an experience perspective. From an experience perspective, Jabs. Um, I really do like um I really do like the UCT Hall. Eh? I, I don't know why. It, it, it's probably got a I've probably got a sentimental um yeah, something sentimental attached to that venue now. Um, because that's kind of where where my indoor short-lived indoor career kicked off, um, and I, and I, even when I picture it now, I just feel, I just picture people standing on top of that that bridge walkway. Those stands are packed. There, those uh, um, UCT pull-out stands on the right side of the court, uh, just packed with kids. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely go to that venue. Not not my favorite surface, but but definitely one of my my better venues. And, you know, we always talk about travel uh, a hell of a lot in the show. And there's no doubt that Berlin stands in, in my top three as far as cities that I've been to. Absolutely love the place. The history uh, blows my mind in itself, never mind the sheer beauty of it. Uh, and, of course, then you, then you think back at the atrocities that took place there. And, yeah, the, the list just goes on and on. And, you know, we've, we've been watching the Springboks and the Proteas uh, play cricket and rugby respectively, and they've had to do so of late uh, in the confines of these massive bubbles. So they travel, but they don't get to see anything. Were you able to see a little bit of that, that wonderful city while you were there? Yeah, Derek, we were, hey, we, we were, we were quite fortunate. And I thought the fixture times in the, at the end of the World Cup were also absolutely bonkers. Um, I, I remember we played we played one of one of our games. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. It was like ten o'clock. It was either ten or eleven at night. Um, I don't know who the tournament organisers were, but they obviously were very busy during the day and wouldn't didn't want us to play in normal human times. Hmm. So we played at these super random late evening games. Um, so we had plenty of time um, in the day to try and just shoot out and, and see what we could. Eh? We on tour. Um, yeah, you you are quite limited to the time on your feet because obviously, being the uh, due to the nature of the sport, we we run around a fair amount, so it's not too wise for us to be um, trekking the streets of Berlin. But we do, uh, well, we did have a, a, a team historian, Jared Jones, who absolutely loves a visit to anywhere and wherever he could go. So he was obviously leading the charge. And there are a couple of us a little bit older who appreciate a little bit more history, who would also uh, shoot out in a taxi or, or, or jump on a bicycle um, and yeah, go and see as much as Berlin as we can in the short, in the short time that we had, because remember the, the end of world cup is pretty jam packed. Uh, you, I think two games a day, um, for for two two games and then already for two days and then you're already into your cross pools um the next two days so yeah you you're in and out so the the time um from a tourist perspective wasn't wasn't amazing but we definitely did um take some opportunities to get out to Berlin and like you said 
yeah, one of one of my top three um, destinations. Eh? It, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal city. Yeah, really thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm really glad to see that uh, you managed to experience some of that, uh, as you did many other countries, including London, which uh, a lot of us have. But uh, you got to experience it uh, a little differently, uh, being at the London 2012 Olympics. Now, we've just come off the back of a fanless, uh, kind of soulless Olympic Games over in Tokyo, sadly. Uh, But in it, uh, we saw a a sensational performance from the SA Men's where they got that famous victory over Germany. Uh, And uh, two stars of the show were undoubtedly Mustafa and Dayan Kasim, the two Kasim brothers. Now, you were alongside your brother Tane at London 2012. Uh, Firstly, what was the experience like being an Olympian? And secondly, being able to experience that with your brother? Yeah, I'll answer the the second first if you don't mind. Um, just uh, yeah, it was it was obviously my brother and I go back a long <laughs> long way um, since birth. We had, yeah, since birth. <laughs> um, we we had a couple of hockey balls in the back garden, um, and yeah, it was just uh, I was chatting to somebody about it the other day and how you find um, connections on the field, and whether anybody likes it or not. A brother will always be able to find his brother on the hockey field. Uh, you can ask the Evans brothers, you can ask the Robinsons, you can ask the Wiggets, you can ask uh, Diana Mustafa. There's just the craziest connection. And I, I don't know what it is. And yeah, my brother and I had that. And it was it, it was just amazing playing uh, with him eh? I think we shared we shared we shared about 60 caps or 70 caps together um which is yeah which is absolutely awesome it also helped my mom and dad because it meant they could just watch one hockey game at one time and see both of us um because they obviously used to split quite a lot when we were younger playing cricket the one would go with my brother and one would go with me and then they'd swap the following weekend so yeah it definitely did help them but yeah, my brother is a, he's a flipping lovely oak. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to play that many test matches with anyone else but him eh? because we, we we shared so much time together as lighties. And we, 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 we saw firsthand um, when people didn't see us working at training, we were the only ones who really saw each other working behind the scenes. So to see your, your, your younger brother achieve something when you knew what he was doing outside of the, the regular practice times was, was so, so epic. And I was just so lucky to share that, the, that time, in particular the Olympics. I can still remember um, singing the national anthem against Australia, uh, standing next to him, and we could see my mom and dad in the crowd um, in London. It was, yeah, was mind-blowing. Still, still undoubtedly the highlights of my hockey career. Uh, I'm sure... Uh, and and yeah, it's great to hear about the fact that that it, it certainly is a, a bit of a sixth sense when playing with the sibling because you can, you can see it. I mean, we watch Diane and Mustafa play together, and you can't coach that. You can't coach the interplay between the two of them, and yeah, you know, they just know exactly where one another is, and yeah, it, it works to perfection. So let's move to the first question uh, regarding the actual experience in itself. So not just about being there with your brother, but the the, the time you were you became. And official Olympian. It's it, it's it's hard to describe. Eh? I mean, I, it, the selection is where it already starts for me. Um, I remember Greg Clark um, 
put envelopes in a room and it had your name on it and you had to go and pick up your envelope and then just kind of take it somewhere else just in respect of the guys who who weren't selected at the time um and then i remember taking my envelope I was, we were staying in a garden court if i'm not mistaken in bloemfontein we just had done the hardest running of our entire lives and yeah i just remember going out and, and popping onto the chair at near the pool and i opened up and i saw my name and well, i think the letter was addressed to me um and it just yeah, said congratulations on your selection and then the first person I actually saw um after that was my brother and he was just crying his eyes out and he just ran up to me he's like i'm going to the olympics and i was like me too Woo-hoo. um and that's that's really where it starts Derek, before you've even got there because you have no there there's no way to describe what the village is like it, it's just mind-blowing the fact that people have built this for two weeks of the the olympics and then two weeks for the paralympics it's just mind-blowing here yeah? you everything is there that you need as to perform as a world-class world-class athlete i mean you got a you have a toothache you go you go to the olympic doctor for free and i mean that is like south african sportsman dreams you don't have to pay to go to the dentist i mean we all had the shiniest white teeth you've ever seen in your whole life because we were getting our teeth cleaned like every day <laughs> um yeah just the the gym facilities there um the athletes the athletes that you that you see i don't know how, how closely you guys follow football ty, ty loves it favorite sport of all time tyron juan mata yeah you bumped into him we bump. I didn't bump into him. Austin Smith and I were, um, and a couple of guys were in our room before the opening ceremony. And this guy comes walking out, and we're sharing the top level of each apartment, shares a veranda. So we have the sharing veranda with, like, we know Team Spain are next to us. And these guys come out, and they're like, I mean, they're pretty fit guys. We're like, mm, I don't know what they could do. That was one of our favorite games, like, great kind of guess what the guys do and this the short guy standing on the edge there and one of the guys pops up like hey that guy looks familiar and i promise you if you put him on the television right at that moment we would have all told you it was juan mata but we had no idea we had to get our phones out we googled juan mata and i mean we were sharing a balcony with juan mata for the evening i mean we all we all attacked him for selfies and i mean he could hardly speak a word of english um, and that was kind of the opening ceremony, the first night um, of us being there. We, we were touching and rubbing shoulders with these absolute, absolute superstars. And yeah, you're just an, you're just an amateur. Hey? Uh, we were, we were amateurs. We probably paid for like 70% of our tours building up to the Olympics. Um, and then luckily we didn't have to pay anything to get there. And you're standing next to someone who's like, He's netting a couple million, a, a, probably a month, to, to kick around a, a soccer ball. So, I mean, yeah, just just seeing the athletes um, in that, I don't want to say an amateur environment, because a lot of the sports um, and sports sportsmen and sportswomen at the games aren't actually paid professionals. Um, I think the U.S. basketball team. Uh, and a couple of obviously higher end like runners or athletes are obviously full time get paid to do whatever they they do um but yeah we just you almost feel like you're a visitor inside the olympic village when you walk past venus and serena williams you're like what am i doing here 
<laughs> like you, you, you want to ask for autographs and you want to ask for photos, but you know, you, you, you almost in the moment have to realize you're an Olympian as well. Like, yes, they earn money and travel the world, but, but you also travel the world and don't earn money. So you've done all the hard work to get there. Um, and yeah, it's just an absolutely, absolutely mind blowing experience. Eh? Um, the the coolest part was when we were able to allow our parents um, into the village so we could show them around. So my mom and dad got a tour for my brother and I. Um, yeah, just of, of of what the whole village was about. But yeah, being an Olympian, eh? it's a great well, thing. It's an interesting thing you bring up your dad because your dad was also a the head coach of the SMN back uh, post-isolation, back in the early days. Uh, but he wasn't the coach <clears throat> when they got to go to Atlanta, so he missed out, if I'm correct. He never got to go to the Olympics as the coach. Uh, <clears throat> how special was it then for your dad as a, a a very, very good hockey player himself back for Rhodesia in the days and and obviously as a very good coach? It must have also been special to to have his boys there to see the back end of the Olympics. And it must be nice that you and Tane were able to give that to him. Yeah, he's, um, my dad's a, a phenomenal man. Eh? He's undoubtedly the most emotional oak in the entire world. Um, so he would, I actually remember bringing him to the village. I don't think he spoke much on our tour. He just, just weeped. He weeps silently. He's not a loud crier. But he just tears just gently roll out of his eyes eh, whenever he's proud. And flip for for my brother and I to give him that was, you know, was something special. Eh? Um, yeah, he was uh, an immense part of both of our careers. Um, the most technical coach I've ever dealt with was my dad. Um, I don't think I'd be able to hit a hockey ball um, if he hadn't had showed me. Um, so yeah, to to allow him in there, well not allow him in there, but invite him in there as as kind of uh, our guest uh, was was phenomenal, eh? and I know he he absolutely loved it. And and we speak about your dad as a coach, but that's also where you are catching the attention right now. You've obviously caught it as a player, you've caught it for indoor, but uh, varsity college, you are doing some wonderful things there. We're seeing some great results happening for for good old Slytherin. Um, and of course, a final in the USA recently falling short against SA under, tw- oh, sorry, I mean against Tux. Um, <laughs> yes, I said that. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I guess firstly, I mean, the trance, uh, the, 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 the move over from playing to, to coaching, how did that come about? Was it always in your plans? Um, and how much are you enjoying it before we actually look at your team itself? Uh, Jabs, great, great question. Um, wasn't in my plan, not even one bit. Um, I just, we just had our first baby. I was actually still running around on the indoor court at the Riverside Boys, and um, I arrived at a game, and we actually were playing the varsity college boys team, and um, their coach at the time um, was Sean Blaker and he wasn't there. And I asked one of the guys what, what, where he was. And um, Sean, Sean wanted to play a bit more hockey and obviously it didn't, I don't think it really fits in with 
what the varsity requires. I think they they wanted you kind of full time, um, no hockey for yourself kind of thing. And I know Bakes is is a young old man and still wanted to to run around that hockey field. So he stepped down as coach, and the boys actually didn't have anyone as an interim. And I went home that night quite quite bothered by by this um, the fact that these young oaks didn't have anyone and and they're essentially the the future of our province and uh, possibly a couple of national players in the future and the next day I, I just went and I got hold of Jody Taylor who runs the sports and I said listen um, I don't really know um, where I'm supposed to be or how I'm supposed to do this but your, your guys didn't have a team last night um I don't know if I want to coach them, but can I have a chat? And yeah, I met with Carol Adam, who heads up a sport for Varsity College um, around the country. I think I think Carol is the coordinator for all the sport through from uh, the Cape Town, Joburg, and PE and Durban campuses. And I met with her in Durban, and yeah, she said, "Listen, hey, if you want it, if you want the job, you can have the job." I said, "Like, I haven't, I haven't done anything. Hey? I have no Saha level." Nothing. No Saha level one, no Saha level two. I'm like the most unqualified coach probably in South Africa, which is quite scary, but I am. And she offered me the job and I took it. Pretty much like two days later after um, yeah, seeing these guys. And it's been, it's honestly been one of the biggest uh, learning experiences of my life. Hey, it's, players often aren't good coaches um this is what i've been told and what i've heard um but i've tried not to uh, relate my playing to my coaching too much i've kind of just gone full uh, back door um i've tried a couple of things i don't think i'm the most conventional coach but uh i've just tried to to show these young men that um I, i've been there I've been whatever they're going through, well, not everything, but a lot of things they're going through with like young relationships, um, disappointment of selection, uh, struggling to keep up with Varsity work, uh, some of them failing. I, I, it all happened to me. Uh, I did all of that. Uh, I was trying to be a professional at an under-21 level. I uh, didn't get selected for the Junior World Cup team. Heartbreak, wanted to quit. I told my dad I was never playing hockey again. Uh, failed some subjects at university because I couldn't keep up with the training. And um, so I, I've kind of approached my, my responsibilities as, as, a, as, a mentor, as a mentor first because, I, I honestly, I just don't think there, there's enough support for, for young men, like full stop, whether they're hockey players or rugby players. I just don't think there's enough like genuine support for guys. And that's kind of the approach I've taken with, with my boys. Um, in the first year, they asked me um, how soon can I win the league, which was you know, made me sweat a little bit in the meeting. Um, and I said to them, I'll win the league in three years. Um, and this was the third year and we won the indoor league and the outdoor league this, uh, this year. So we did a double header in Durban, which is, bonkers <laughs> i can't believe it happened um and then yeah we went we went on to to dethrone a couple of um major varsities at usa which 
is also unheard of for our little private campus in Durban North where I'm only allowed to choose players from the Durban North campus. Um, I can't use anyone from around the country at any other other varsity colleges. So, I mean, we are who we are. Uh, we don't have dietitians or <laughs> full-time strength and conditioning coaches or gyms or boarding establishments or raises, raises, sorry. We don't have any of that. I, I have a, a squad of about 18 Durban boys. Um, majority of them live, live with their mom and dads. Some of them train at Virgin Active. Some of them train at Strength Society. Uh, we're lucky enough to have Charlotte on board. And yeah, I just kind of, I just like the, have have kind of given the message to my boys that, yeah, I'm I'm there on the side right behind you. Um, and whatever happens, we we all face, we face the music when things go badly and we all have a a beer. You don't have to have a beer if you don't want to, but we have a beer if if things go well, eh? And that's and that's kind of currently where I'm sitting in my coaching career. Right. So, uh, do you think the impact? Uh, I mean, it's 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 amazing listening to you speak, and you know, you and I have had many informal chats on the side of a field and stuff. But you know, this this almost uh, this mentorship role. How how much of an impact has becoming a father made on you? in in that role oh it's been huge jobs it's been absolutely huge i mean i look at my kids and and uh, i mean you're both now it's just it's they're incredible eh? i mean as much as they've they've aged me a little bit um (laughs) just yeah you you all i hope and when i when i look at my kids and i know they'll be playing sport one day i don't think they have much of a (laughs) of a choice um coming from my family but they I, i just want I just want coaches to, and, and whoever coaches them one day, to kind of have the same kind of empathy that I'm trying to uh, show to my boys. Um, and, and, and someone just cares, cares about them as a human, more about how incredible their hockey skills are or how fit they are or why, like, why can't they do that? Why can't they do this? And just accepting them for kind of who they are and just telling them that they can, yeah, they can be, they can be whatever, whatever they want to be um, with, with a little bit of support from who, from whoever is their mentor or coach at the time. And I think that's been my biggest driver is that I want to have an impact on, on these guys' lives. Um, I mean, I get messages about girlfriends and this thing and that thing. And obviously some of the stuff I don't really have too much time for because I have my own life, but it's exactly when I, when I look, when I look back at messages and, and emails from some of my players and I, and I get frustrated, it's those times when I, I say to myself, Hey, this is exactly where you want to be. Um, and yeah, I have the full, full trust of my team. Um, and we aren't, we, we aren't the best team, by any stretch of the imagination with the utmost respect to my boys. we I'll tell you right now, we are the hardest working team you'll ever see. And if you play against a team that I coach, we will make life very, very hard for you. But, I mean, at the use of final, we had um, I had six players in my team who, who played in the second team the week before in Durban and they beat Gongs 2-1. Um, and now they were playing against... Yeah, the mighty candy straps. And um, I know you had a, a little subtle dig at Siegs and the Tux boys there, but they're, they are, they're a phenomenal team. Like, 
it is unreal how good those oaks are. Um, and I mean, I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot of them at the Junior World Cup at the end of the year. But we, when we were singing, not singing, normally we sing the national anthem at USA, but this year we did not. But when we were standing up and the, the boys were standing in a line in front of me, and I was just looking at these guys, I was like, how, how did we do this? Like, it, it was absolutely, it was absolutely mind-blowing. And I, I, haven't, I haven't cried a lot as a coach. And I, I think in the, sem- in the semifinals after we beat Marty's, yeah, I was, I mean, a, few, a couple guys will listen to this and go, Pates, you're the most emotional oak we've ever met in our whole life. But yeah, I just broke down in front of these boys eh? and it was, it was incredible. Um, yeah, it's just such a good, such a good time. Eh? As Robbie Gosset would say, what a time to be alive. Wade, you know, I mean, you, you're three years into your coaching career. So there's no doubt that, that you've certainly settled in and the results speak for, them, for themselves. And I remember chatting to Piti Kutsia not too, too long ago and I, I asked the similar question. I, I remember years ago, I was chatting to a former protea and I asked him who, who was the, the worst captain that you played under. And I don't want to name names, but the, the person he said was quite a, 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 a legend when it comes to cricket in South Africa. And he said it wasn't this person's fault. It was just that he was so talented that he couldn't understand how mere mortals, as he put it, couldn't do what he did. And there's no doubt you were an extremely talented hockey player. Your brother too. You come from a hockey family. There's hockey going through your blood. Was it tough initially being a coach to to try and get players to do things that they simply were incapable of doing, which you kind of found easy? Uh, yeah, great question, Derek. There's, um, there are a couple of frustrating moments. Um, I won't lie. Um, I looked, I often revert back to being coached by Greg Clark. And I mean, Clarkie was the epitome of a world-class player turned coach. Now looking at us mere mortals, trying to teach us a couple of things, probably pulling, well, I don't think Clarkie had any hair then, but he, yeah, I just always look back to that kind of situation and you just have to, you just have to let it go. Um, there's no point in comparing yourself to these guys. We, we're all in completely different situations. I mean, some of my guys probably were only really playing hockey at like seriously, like 15, 16 and my brother and I were beating each other with a hockey stick at like three years old. So it, everyone comes from completely different um, environments and situations, and especially at a, at a university level where I'm a, like, I've got guys coming from um, yeah, like six or seven different schools. They've been coached by seven or eight different coaches from under 13A to under 18A. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's... It's too difficult of a task to to get everybody onto a level which you think um, meets kind of your own hockey standard, if that makes any sense. I'm not sure if it does. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of learn to embrace each player for who they are and and try and bring out you know, the best in, in, in what that individual can be. Um, 
there are definitely a couple of uh, hair pulling moments, like I mentioned, because sometimes something might appear super easy for you is, is actually very difficult for something, someone else. And I think that's just um, in life. I know Jabu can do all the things with all the numbers and I hate accounting and anything to do with that. And that's just the way it is. Um, some people can just do the things and other people can't, other people can't. And yeah, I'm not angry at Jabu for being a superhuman accounting robot, but yeah, that's what is what it is. I'm getting a lot of praise again. That's also going on the CV. Um, <laughs> Wait, another thing that's always interested me, and and it's uh, it's actually a little bit of a numbers thing because you you well, it's not a little bit. It is a numbers thing. I love the backstories behind people's shirt numbers, and sometimes there's great stories, sometimes there's not. But you wore number two a lot in your career. Uh, for example, I always wear number 21, um, not because I'm a Jethro Eustace fan, not because Jethro and I actually share a birthday because I am older than him. Um, but uh, because the first shirt I got when I was a youngster had 21 and I just loved the number, so it stuck. And it used to really hack me off when I went to play in hockey tournaments and you had to be number one to 11. So then I'd play in three because 21 is two and one, you know, two plus one. But uh yeah, is there any any great story about number two other than you were just given it when you were first called up and it stuck? There, there unfortunately is not an amazing story to number two, um, but is small one. I when I when I kind of first made my debut, um, or when I was working my way into the squad, trying very 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 hard to work my way into the squad because the squad at the time was filled with um yeah an unreal era of players Bruce Jacobs um Ian Simmons Darren Gallagher just to name a few in the midfield so um as an 18 year old coming out of school um Clyde Abrams sorry I must mention Clyde he was unreal um, as a youngster coming out of school, you kind of um, you have these aspirations, but then you look at the national team and you wonder where the heck am I going to fit in. Um, so when the, when the time came, um, it was purely a matter of size, and number two was a small in that particular kit. I think it was a TK kit, and. <laughs> It was the only one that that fit me, um, and I, I sure as hell was not going to run onto the the field for my debut with a parachute on my back. Um, obviously, looking for the short, smallest, shortest, tightest fitting um, shirt that would show off my guns, and it happened to be number two, and that is why number two stuck, eh? And then it just sticks with you. That, that that's actually. One of the best stories we've ever heard. <laughs> I, I think that's incredible. <laughs> I chose a number because, well, it was only one the shirt that fitted and it just happened to be number two. Oh, man, I absolutely love that. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I know, uh, just wrapping up the shine, I know I spoke about Berlin earlier, but uh, you, you said that, yeah, it would fit into the top three for you. Uh, what what other countries stand high and mighty as to those that you've toured or even just seen. It doesn't need to have, you don't need to have seen them through hockey, but uh, what countries you have you enjoyed visiting? Uh, number one, Japan. 
Um, yeah, we went to little, uh, we landed in Tokyo and took a bus. I didn't see much of Tokyo at all, only from um, the bus window. I saw a heck of a lot of uh, golf ranges uh, as we were leaving Tokyo. Um, and we went to a little city called Kakame- Kakamegahara. Um, it was like a little Japanese fishing village. Um, it was it was unbelievable, Derek. It is the most um, tranquil place I've ever been to in my whole life. Like nobody shouts, everyone talks quietly. Not that we understood anyone, but they just were very peaceful and quiet. And and I think the place also holds a special place to my heart because that's where we qualified um, for the Olympics for the second time in that little fishing village. So. Yeah, it'll always be uh, one of my favorite uh, destinations. And we got to see a lot of it as well because we had quite a lot of time off on that on tour. Um, so definitely Japan, Kakamigahara, just uh, special people, hey? Special, special people, the Japanese. Um, uh, yeah, Berlin, definitely, definitely three. Two, this is a tough one. I, I really enjoyed Chile. Oh. I don't know if you've been to South America. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time in South America, and my mom actually grew up in Chile. So, no way. yeah, yeah, I absolutely love Chile. So, yeah, it's a place after all. Yeah, I've got a lot of history there. It's a, it's a phenomenal place. Yeah, I, I, I didn't even know they played hockey until we arrived there for a Four Nations tournament. Mm. It was it was great. Eh? Where, where um, were you, it, Santiago? We were in Santiago. Yeah. yeah. Mm. No, it's an amazing place. Really, really cool. My my mom grew up in a, a little town called Iquique. And okay. it's it's quite built up now, but when she was there, so she's originally from Cape Town, and then her old man got uh, quite a cool job over there. And uh, she, when they moved up, they, they were the only people staying basically at this massive dune. And there's always those famous images from Dakar, from South America, where you see the cars coming down this massive dune, and that's the one. And uh, I know. yeah, and, and when I went there six or seven years ago to Kike, uh, I sent my mom photos and videos back, and she said, "No, there's no way this is the same place. It's literally a village with like four houses and a dune, and now it's a, a bustling metropolitan uh, metropolis." You know, but uh, no but yeah, it is an absolutely a wonderful place. Yeah, it was a great place. We actually had a um, we had a little I don't call it an earthquake. Because I don't think it was an earthquake, but we were just like all having an afternoon nap one afternoon, and the hotel just started shaking, like TVs like falling off the wall, and you just take all the South African hockey guys. We like in the corridor, we like, what is happening? What is happening? And then someone, sh- the Lungi Tolikele, shouted, "Gareth Carr has been jump was jumping on the bed." We were like, <laughs> oh. "There's actually, I actually have a, a photo of." Of my last time there, because exactly that you see signs wherever you go, earthquake and tsunami warnings. So it, yeah, it's, a, it's it very much a, a regular occurrence over there. But uh, yeah, a wonderful place. So, so you say Japan number one, uh, Chile is there, and and Berlin, Germany is is in the mix too. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, we went to some crazy places that a lot that I weren't wasn't too fond of, but. I mean, uh, sports eh, takes you to some of the best places in the world. Yeah, it really yeah, does. Look, it's, it's no Lagos, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> where, where, uh, did you ever get to, um, unfortunately, travel to Bolivia? No, I did not. Yeah, no offense to our Bolivian listeners, but if you get a chance to skip it, look, 
I always say I'll always visit a place <laughs> once, always. Um, but Bolivia's once is enough, but I've been there about three times. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a Chile. <laughs> for, for what? Uh, for Dakar, for Dakar. So, okay, okay. Yeah, but um, yeah, to, to all 13 Bolivian listeners who know what <laughs> hockey is and, and choose to listen to a South African-based Hockey the Podcast, well, thank you for tuning in. It was great having you over these past 100 episodes. Uh, hopefully. We- <laughs> and, and for that, that, that the 2% in, of those 13 that, that speak English. <laughs> and of that 50% of those 13 that actually listen to podcasts. <laughs> Uh, Derek, you've really chased away potentially one listener, and that's it. Our sponsors have gone. Well, you know what they say for every Bolivian you lose, you gain 10 Chileans, and that's exactly what's (laughs) happened this time around. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, um, with uh, WhatsApp and Facebook and all of that stuff being done, you should have a fairly quiet evening, Wade, because you're not going to get too many messages from the boys. to ask for dating life. I've just realized that I actually still have a 30 SMS bundle on my contract. So I'm sorted. I can <laughs> communicate. Uh, but uh, yeah, wait, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's It's been a long time coming, but been worth the wait. Uh, you're doing magic things. You were always doing magic things on the field. You're still doing magic things with hockey off the field. And, you know, as soon as you get those levels, if you ever plan to do it, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some senior uh, representative uh, roles for you in the coaching sphere. Yeah, thanks, Chubbs and Derek. It's been flipping such an experience. I've loved it. I um, I always see the podcast, um, particularly take fond of Rhett, uh whenever I see Rhett's face or Justin or Lloyd Norris Jones. Uh, obviously, they've been really close mates of mine. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for having me. Eh? Um, yeah, hopefully the next next one I might be a real coach, um, talking about real hockey things. Um, yeah, and I look forward to it. Uh, it's been absolute uh, honor and a privilege having you on the show, Wade. And uh, yeah, I can guarantee it won't be the last time. Uh, yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, and and it felt like we could just carry on speaking for an hour, two, three hours. Yeah. So we definitely will have a, a sequel in the not too distant future. Awesome. <laughs> Wait, thank Thanks, you. Guy. Thank you so much. Have a, a lovely evening. Have a lovely time of things, and uh, you'll catch up soon. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Jabs. Cheers, Wade. So, Derek, in the previous no episode, what we used to do is uh, have a a one question quiz. Of course, we said that's in the past, and instead, how we're going to wrap up every episode now is with the hockey, the podcast stats of the week. Now, I revealed it to you earlier. And you are going to probably insert a really cool sting here. Stat of the show. I did reveal this week's stat already, but here it is, the Hockey the Podcast stat of the show. And that is only two players in history, two men in history have scored for South Africa at the Olympic Games and at an Indoor Hockey World Cup. Those two are Wade Payton and Steve Evans. That was your stat of the show. Love it. And uh, well done, Ty. Once again, organizing a superb guest. Uh, absolutely brilliant he was. And I've got no doubt in my mind that he will be returning uh, pretty soon. Thanks for joining us once again for episode 101. We'll be back soon for 102.
Cheers.